0: We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net
1: slash podcasts for more information. Hi, everyone out there. It's nice to uh, see you all joining on the uh on the attendee list here on the side. It's great to have you today. Um, My name is Julia and today we're going to be presenting TikTok, YouTube and video games, powerful tools for comprehension. Uh, Hi again, my name is Julia Rivard-Dexter. I'm the founder and CEO of Shoelace who's sponsoring this uh, webinar today. I was an Olympic athlete back in 2000 as a kayak athlete uh, but more importantly, I'm a mom of four, um, and uh, my background is in technology and building technology that's engaging for users, uh, and we founded Shoelace back in 2019 to deliver the best education through mobile games that kids love, and I'm joined here today with by Lauren Letts-Coleman, and she's the Director of Education at Shoelace. Hi, Lauren, nice to have you. Um, Lauren's a former teacher who spent more than 10 years in the classrooms in the U.S. And she now oversees all of our content strategy at Shoelace and has become an expert at game-based learning. And so she's going to share a bunch of great ideas with you today. And she's put so much work into this webinar uh, to make sure you leave with super helpful and valuable resources. So uh, keep keep following and you're going to get some great stuff by the end. So thanks for, for being here, Lauren. Um, the agenda today, we want to make sure that you know what you're what you're about to get into. So um, first, we're going to go over what you will learn, uh, and then we're going to go over a bit of the backstory. So what is engaged learning? What is comprehension? The current comprehension crisis, um, and Lauren's going to dig into that a little bit so that we all have that context. It's so important. And then we're going to talk about the summer solution. How do we help kids uh, over the summer not have uh, summer learning loss and face that summer slide? So we're going to talk about how um, kids can have valuable screen time, something that we're all concerned about with our kids. And then we're going to finally go over Shoelace's curation framework and resources that we're going to share with you so that you all have access. So that's the agenda for today. Just moving us along, I wanted to give you a little bit of a background about Shoelace. Um, so, as a mom of four, um I saw that my kids were engaging with technology, uh, and I also had uh, one of my four who really struggled at school. and being someone who built technology and engaging technology, I wanted to find a way to help him. Uh, and I was so underwhelmed by the tools that kids had access to in the classrooms to keep them really checked into their learning. And so we became we we started to study this problem and we became absolutely driven to find ways to deliver really top-notch, best-in-class education um, through mobile games when kids are are using screens. So turning that screen screen time into valuable time for kids. And that's been our mission. Uh, in 2019, we released the Shoelace platform, and we really wanted to make sure that we were supporting teachers, teachers who have kids in their class that are engaged by all different types of things. And so we give teachers the ability to deliver reading and comprehension through games in their classroom or assign assignments to be um, to be uh, engaged with at home. Uh, and teachers are given amazing reports, assessments, um, assignments, uh, class missions that they can do with their kids. Uh, in their dashboards and so this uh, picture here is of our first game dreamscape and that's my background here today too that you can see um and and what we're doing today is we're we're making sure that you have the link this is a free platform with an option to buy a premium subscription but if you, if you want to play free forever you can and so if you go to playdreamscape.com you'll get access to our first game dreamscape which you'll see here and the way it works is kids build bases and as they build their base and challenge their friends and and collect avatars and pets they have to answer read read comprehension pass read passages i'm sorry and answer comprehension questions associated with those passages to go on and and move further in the game and so the game uh actually motivates them to keep pushing their learning it's personalized to each learner's uh skill uh, which makes it perfect for kids who have all different levels of skill uh, so we really encourage you to try it out in your classroom and we'll g- give you a little bit more information at the end of the presentation. But now the the important part, I'm going to hand it over to Lauren and uh, yeah, take it away, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you, Julia, for laying the groundwork for us. So teachers, what we'll be
0: learning today is grounded in a challenge that you've probably either just faced or you're soon going to be facing which is what you're going to do in terms of summer reading for this upcoming summer. Now, in the school district where I taught, this was always a really hard sell for us, both to the students themselves and also to their parents. We started off when I was first teaching there with a required summer reading book that we asked all children in the same grade to read, but we found when we got back in September that a sizable majority of the students had not read the book. And therefore, as I'm sure you can imagine, this did make it pretty difficult for us to kick off the year with any kinds of lessons, projects, or tests that were gonna be centered around that book. So we tried to change things up. We then moved to sharing a summer book list next that had a collection of options, but even still with choice, summer reading completion was too low to make it a beneficial classroom activity once school resumed in the fall. We felt at this point in my building like we had reached a stalemate. Kids have such a high bar for the content that they find engaging. And sadly, books often do not hold their interest. However, when it comes to social media and video games... Those often are designed strategically to be able to both grab and hold kids' interest. We see them getting sucked into those mediums, right? So I'm excited to chat with you all today about ways that we can leverage those screen time opportunities. We know that students are already engaged. And if we can translate that general engagement that they have to engaged learning, that's where I think the win is going to be with engaged learning. So when I use the phrase engaged learning, I'm basically thinking about engagement across every aspect of my lesson plan. I'm thinking about one of my administrators right now, actually. I don't know if you've had your end of the year summative assessment just yet with your principal or your supervisor, or if maybe you've got one more final observation coming up this month. But whenever I sat down with an admin for a post-observation review, I usually was told to increase one of two things engagement or rigor. And my admin would always stress the importance of following through across the entire lesson. From the beginning when I selected learning materials to planning the way that I was going to deliver direct instruction during that portion of the lesson, all the way through to whatever takeaway task the students were going to do independently. Basically, engagement from start to finish. Now, There are a lot of different ways to cultivate engagement. I'm sure we all know that. So this is going to be the kind of thing where there's so many different methodologies out there. All I can do is share a few with you that I highly recommend. Here are three focuses that I've really tried to emphasize in my practice. I consider these my pillars of engaged learning. The first one is mastery-based learning which I would say is a buzzword on the newish side. I'm curious, teachers, can you type in the chat, is mastery-based learning circulating in conversations in your state or in your schools? Mastery-based learning is also sometimes called competency-based learning. So you may have heard it by one of those two names. Regardless of the name though, it centers around the idea that students need enough time They need enough time to practice skills and strategies so that they can get to that point of mastery. This means that for us as teachers, after a week or two, we can't just shrug and then move on to a new topic if they're not getting it. It means we have to make a larger commitment. It's tied to research by John Guthrie, who is a professor out of the University of Maryland. He noted in his research that most students. Needs somewhere between eight and 10 practice sessions with a skill to become fully independent with it. He also cited another researcher in some of his papers who indicated that it can take two to three months for students to develop a firm handle on skills. Two to three months. That's the length of a typical summer vacation. A takeaway from this session that I'd love to leave all of you with is that as we're approaching the summer, it is the perfect length of time for students to master a new skill. If we have students who could benefit from catching up before they enter the next grade, research shows that the summer is long enough for them to do do just that. But it's important for us as the educators to recommend learning opportunities for students and their families. And also we've gotta get them out soon. If it's gonna take two to three months, We've got to get moving now. Moving on in terms of the pillars of engaged learning, windows and mirrors is another one that's central to me. This is a term coined by a researcher, Rudine Sims Bishop, who is from The Ohio State University. This concept, which has been supported by other researchers, is that students learn best when they see themselves reflected in the content that they receive. The content, hence, is a mirror into their lives. There's also value, though, to learning about others and broadening your knowledge base through literature. Those are the windows. So, for me, this means offering a variety of materials about diverse topics so that nearly all, hopefully, all students in my classroom have something to which they can relate that's in the classroom library. It also means using authentic materials. I'm sure you know how flat. Either dry resources or contrived resources can fall. But it's hard to find things that resonate with your students. You know, books are expensive. Publishers only have so much in their libraries. It was when I was struggling to find enough texts that I actually started turning to media and online media for the first time. Because you see, online media can be so flexible. There are so many content creators out there that there's such a bounty of things to work with and new content is appearing virtually in the moment. So if you want to address a current event or find something connected to a pop culture movement, it's so easy. It's through things like that, that I started to realize that media is inherently more equitable and through media incorporation into my classroom resources, I can offer students resources that seem real to them Because they are real. And these resources are just primed for connection making, which is the way to go. Lastly, evidence of learning. I was talking with my team earlier this week about what engagement means to me. And engagement is not just students paying attention during the lesson, engagement is students being able to demonstrate their learning after the lesson. We know students do their best when they truly buy into the tasks at hand. So to wrap it up, engaged learning means giving enough time, giving them high quality resources, and then challenging them to show what they know. With the resources that we've stocked for you, I'm confident you'll be able to offer summer work to your students that does hit all three of these pillars. To speak more about those coming resources, they are specifically comprehension resources. And comprehension is sometimes used as a blanket term or an umbrella term. So I thought I would take a moment to break down the way in which I'm going to be describing it, just to make sure that you're thinking about it the same way. Language arts teachers, I imagine you probably have pretty solid working definitions of comprehension. If you do, bear with us as we make sure that we're all caught up to speed here on how exactly comprehension can be defined. At its simplest, Comprehension is the practice of deriving meaning from texts or from other forms of media. But it is definitely not simple, uh, because to comprehend effectively, people need to be simultaneously applying a number of skills and strategies. Take a look at this graphic, for example, over here on the slide. This is a take on Scarborough's Reading Rope, for any of you who are joining in an audio-only format today where you can hear me but can't see, we're looking at a graph that talks about all the different components that work together to establish skilled reading comprehension. And there's two big contingent, contingents here, language comprehension and word recognition. If you've seen this chart before, and I imagine a lot of you may have, as we see trainings pop up around the science of reading, Most of them are including some kind of reference to Scarborough's rope. If you look here, you'll see the language comprehension track and the word recognition track. Now that word recognition track has been an area of focus in a lot of our science of reading conversations because that's where you're going to get the body of skills that really feed into phonics driven instruction. And that is a foundation we have to be able to deliver this coming fall. We definitely need to make sure that our students are able to decode Because without that, they don't have the general stepping stone to get started with reading. But as part of our conversation today, I also want to make sure that we're not drawing attention away from the language comprehension strand as well. Because as you can see, we need all of them to interweave together for reading comprehension. And it is going to be this top chunk over here, that language comprehension route, that is really going to take your upper elementary and your middle school learners to the point where they can derive meaning. And now if you take a look at this graph that we have here, I mentioned it's a simplified take on Scarborough's reading rope. There are about eight different terms shown here that factor together. When it comes down to the research though, different researchers break out these components even further. For example, as a middle school educator before I joined Shoelace, my work has typically focused on the top language comprehension strand. At Shoelace, we've broken down just that section into nearly 200 smaller concepts, topics, and skills that we all think belong in the body of comprehension at large. I'm excited to share this guide with you. Um, It's part of our Shoelace infrastructure, and it's the basis for the games on the Shoelace learning platform that Julia was mentioning earlier. We're actually going to share this entire guide with you as a parting gift for coming to today's webinar. It is a massive document. There are over 200 pages in here because as I mentioned, we have close to 200 skills, but I'm really excited for you to have this because it is so highly comprehensive. I think it's gonna be a great thing to keep handy for the next school year. I would maybe print it out and keep it in a binder at my desk, or if you do not wanna waste your entire paper allocation for the school year, maybe just keep the document handy on your work computer. The way that our guide is set up is that we have one or two pages for each of the different skills or concepts. Now, when I say skill, we've tried to cover a lot of things in the body of language comprehension. So we have pages designated to the different story elements. You know, pages for things like character, setting, conflict. We also have pages dedicated towards reading skills and reading strategies. This would be things like predicting, inferring, or summarizing. And then we also have pages dedicated to parts of speech, grammar and mechanics topics, sentence structure topics, and anything that we think really falls under that umbrella of language comprehension. So you can see here a sample page for adjectives. I'm so excited for you to all have this because underneath that title, we have a box here that has a variety of little tidbits for teachers. We have definitions of the term. We have rules about how this term may get applied. It's basically a cheat sheet that you can take in case you have not thought about these topics in a great depth since you were in school yourself. Underneath the teacher cheat sheet material, we also have some student-friendly definitions. These are gonna be great for you to put on anchor charts if you make them in your classroom or to embed in your own slideshows or Google Classroom materials. After we have this section of definitions and information, the bottom part of this resource is color-coded. So you can see there are the three different green-colored bands changing from light green to dark green. Those are all sample comprehension questions and they're organized in a sequence to move from more introductory basic questions that you can pose to students when you're starting off this skill along a continuum that moves towards more inferential And more nuanced ways of tackling the same skill. So, this is gonna be a great thing for you to be able to keep handy and perhaps use when you're planning assignments, planning assessments, or just having book talk conversations in your classroom. I'm excited for you to have it. I hope it saves you time when you're upping the rigor. This guide has also been the focal point, as I mentioned, for our shoelace products, our games mainly but also for the resources that we've created for the summer months that we're going to be sharing with you at the end. Before we get into those resources, I want to talk about why we're giving you all of this for free. As a comprehension development company, we've been following the state of reading comprehension in schools. And unfortunately, we're getting to the point where I don't think it's hyperbolic to refer to student comprehension as being at a point of crisis. This chart here shows fourth grade reading comprehension scores on the National Assessment of Educational Progress. That's a test more often referred to as the NAEP, which is given every two years in the United States. And unfortunately, as you can see here, the results from 2022 don't show very much growth. Honestly, since the test was first given in the 90s, we haven't improved reading comprehension levels we've actually seen a slight decrease in scores between 2019 and 2022, which are the last two different administration cycles. The average here is a 217. And to put this data into context for you, a passing score, at least for 2022, the passing scale score then was a 238. Passing score 238, average 217, That means if you break this down further and consider how averages are calculated, there are a number of students across the U.S. who are not meeting the proficiency benchmark for comprehension. And the NAEP is not the only test showing a comprehension crisis either. There is a growing field of evidence now indicating that COVID-19 disruptions have impacted learning. Now, I'm sure you already know this, right? You're teaching, and you might have taught before, during, and after the pandemic. So I encourage you to take a moment. Can you head to the chat box? Can you head over there and see if maybe you can type in the chat, what is one of the most startling encounters that you have dealt with in regards to reading ability in your classroom lately? Because I know you're seeing it. We're all seeing this day to day, so I'd love to see some of your anecdotal feedback. Take a moment. Are you seeing evidence of COVID-19 learning loss with reading ability? Oh, I got my first answer, which is a yes, definitely. Lots of agreement. If you have any stories or specifics. Oh, we're lacking background knowledge. Students in kindergarten can't tell the difference between a letter and a number. Vocabulary is missing. The focus on decoding, which we know we're working to adjust speech issues. Uh, Even it's trickling all the way up to high school. Lisa is mentioning a high school situation where there's a lot of read aloud happening. Our reading stamina for sure. Oh, and I love how Lane just mentioned the grades of K and 1. Because that actually drives back to one of my slides here, one of the points on this slide. So I mentioned that the NAEP is not the only test that's showing evidence of a comprehension crisis. If you use MAP testing or STAR testing in your school district, MAP testing and STAR testing is one of the areas where we're seeing a defined difference in performance pre-COVID versus post-COVID. Shout out also goes to anybody in Ohio because Ohio's Department of Education shared their state standardized testing results with researchers so that we really could try to quantify just to what extent the comprehension crisis has reached. But one of the most startling, fa- startling statistics, I should say, that stuck with me comes from Dibbles testing. The Dibbles 8 is a basic early literacy assessment. And in 2021, findings showed that 50% of Black and Hispanic grade one students scored in the well below benchmark range compared pre-COVID when that population only had 30% of students scoring in that range. So we skyrocketed it up from 30% to 50% in terms of the well-below benchmark group, with COVID being the sort of bookend between those two administrations. Uh, We're at a critical time here. We know that we need to close these gaps, perhaps now more than ever, but at the same time, we're battling high disinterest. I mentioned earlier that my students rarely completed summer reading. Polls show that's the norm. 20% of surveyed kids in 2019 said that they did not read any books during their summer vacation. So how do we fix this? Our proposal today is to capitalize on screen time. We know that students are spending a great amount of time watching videos, browsing apps, or playing games. So with the resources that we're going to be sharing with you all, we decided to focus on three mediums, YouTube, TikTok, and gaming. Here's why. Firstly, YouTube. It's been a mainstay for more than a decade with children subscribing to content creators in really dedicated fashions. I mentioned I was a middle school teacher. I had preteens and teens in my classroom who had been subscribing to creators for years by the time that they got to me. They knew the cadence which with, which, with which these subscriber, these uh, videos are being posted. They knew how to stay on top of them and they were following so closely. Plus the content on YouTube is long form content. The videos oftentimes are 20 minutes or longer, sometimes even up to an hour or more. These videos become like episodes. And if these episodes become part of a series, then there is really a great opportunity for these content creators to create complex storylines. And just generally, there's so much fodder there to work with when it comes to bringing comprehension questions out of that. TikTok's a bit of a different format. It's been a major player in the social media space since it emerged in 2018. Its videos are typically shorter, many of them around 30 seconds or 60 seconds, but this would be a great opportunity to build in quick, targeted skill practice. Plus, we're finding that users on TikTok often skew younger. There might be parents or teachers who do not have accounts themselves, So, for anybody who's unfamiliar and curious about this platform, our resources provide a really smooth entry point to get both parents and teachers more involved. You can explore it in a strategic way, and then you can see if that content is going to have a place in your classroom moving forward, or if you are a parent, how you want to structure your your children's time on TikTok. Lastly, gaming. Uh, Gaming, when we're talking about video games, The ones that I think have the most merit are what's called role-playing games. These oftentimes have really immersive world-building within them. And by that, I mean that they have really, really in-depth settings with lots of development, very well-fleshed-out characters. They almost function akin to literature. They're a form of narrative media, so to speak. So there's a significant opportunity there as well for comprehension elements to be analyzed. So, we've got these three different mediums. And even more interestingly, is this last stat right here, this 84%. A survey from the Pew Research Center found that 84% of parents feel an obligation to moderate their children's online activity. So, here we have it we have kids loving their online time, we have parents who want to do a better job of managing that. Let's be the ones to make that happen for them how can we empower parents? We need to get on board with them having their children use social media as opposed to trying to convince them to tear their children away. Rather than trying to get them to move away from it and perhaps pick up more traditional activities that might be low engagement, let's train parents to infuse screen time with academic thinking and higher level questioning. To do that exactly, It might sound convoluted or difficult, but Shoelace Learning has done most of that work for you. Our team has already curated a collection of videos and games that can be translated into learning opportunities. After putting together that media list, our our team has also created learning materials that can be follow-up activities to go along with the media. We've created these materials in a way where they're going to be turnkey for all different types of parents. Plus, we've also done step three. We brought you all together on this webinar so that you can be empowered to turnkey these materials after this session as you see fit. This last step here, step four, I'm going to leave that one squarely in your hands. It's to equip parents with these resources so that they can get started over the summer with comprehension work as soon as possible. In regards to curation, after this session, you're gonna receive access to our curated collection. It has nearly 20 teacher approved and resource prepped forms of viral media. These videos were selected because they have become incredibly popular in their own right. In fact, if you are a social media user, you might recognize some of the faces shown here. An important caveat that I wanna make though is that these videos do not come from educational channels. These creators here, they don't produce videos assuming that they're gonna be shown in formal learning environments. Rather, these are general forms of online content that we're gonna harness for learning purposes. I mentioned that that they're not all educators here on this slide because while the videos that we have pulled are school and family appropriate, not everything that these creators produce is and will be. My advice to you is that if you're starting off using some of this online content for the first time, stick to our curated collection, and then recognize that if you wanna find more content from these creators or just more online content at large, there will be a responsibility on your part to screen and vet those videos. However, I don't want to discourage you from curating and using online content. It's it's something that I've really come to enjoy in my time as an educator with my lesson planning and my curriculum planning. And that's why we've put in some time to create a curation framework. There are dedicated education channels already out there. Some of you might be wondering, why should I put in any legwork? I might, maybe I could just use something that's already out there. For example, YouTube has a whole branch called YouTube Kids, which is all family-friendly content. But in my case, especially being a middle school teacher, that content sometimes came across as either too directly didactic or too juvenile for my students I would get complaints that it didn't seem current enough or it didn't seem fun enough. And that's what motivated me to start generally considering regular online content, the kinds of things that I was scrolling through on my day-to-day when I was browsing different platforms on my phone. I hope you'll be motivated to start considering some of this for your teaching toolbox as well. And when you're looking, my advice to you is to try to figure out very early on how to slot it in and align it with your curriculum. As a language arts teacher, I decided to create these buckets to get myself started. If you're joining us audio only, the buckets or the classifications that I'm talking about are narrative media, opinion-based media, and instructional media. There's also a category here called experiential media, and those would include those video games I mentioned earlier, those role-playing games, which are in a fashion themselves kind of similar to narrative media, but unique enough that I created a fourth bucket in which to house them. These classifications were created, as I mentioned, because these were topics that I was covering in my English language arts and reading classes. If you're an ELA teacher, I imagine you can probably already start to match these up to your units of study, whether you read whole books together in your classroom, perhaps cover nonfiction in a dedicated unit, or write persuasive pieces with your students, chances are this kind of content fits in pretty naturally. However, a main distinction here is that the resources I've been cultivating are video-based, not text-based. So instead of coming up with a book list of realistic fiction and historical fiction titles, what I've been cultivating are narrative media forms like recorded skits, or day in the life videos, as, as they're called. The same thing happened with instructional content. Rather than preparing to show my students a how-to list with a series of steps, what I have here instead is a demonstration video. I'm actually really excited by the prospect of showing them more online-based media because I think it is a great way to show students the far reach that their ELA skills will take them. Their reading genres and their writing structures have applicability well outside the classroom. And in this case, in their preferred forms of media. So this is the way in which we've bucketed our content. And here's another slide that relates to our curation framework. I mentioned that we have a selection of content all ready for you. I want you to feel confident using the videos that we prepared. So here are the steps that we took to compile the media that we've amassed. The first step that we took was to do some crowdsourcing. We asked as many people as we could which creators they either followed or subscribed to, and more importantly, why. Once we had a pretty comprehensive list of videos and creators put together, then we tried to start spotting trends. We would sit down, we would watch all the videos and try to figure out what connected, what went together. If you're not already spending a lot of time on social media, you may not be aware. The videos that content creators are developing oftentimes follow some pretty common organizational structures. There is a clear structure in terms of how the content creators are filming and organizing their videos. Plus, after you watch enough, you start to get a sense of the trends. At least every week, honestly, maybe even every day, Somebody makes a video that goes popular and other people start to riff around it. They might create their own similar videos. They might try to, you know, create a satire or make another version of the video that fits more of their industry or their niche. So you're going to start to see these trends develop. This second part about understanding the structures and the trends is critical. I think that this is the most important part to finding online content for for learning experiences And I say that because when you get recommendations from your students, you're not going to be able to use them all. When you see the videos that they've recommended, you're probably going to come across some red flags. And if you do, and you have to cut out some of the recommendations, then you're going to need to find more. When it's time to find more, you want to find ones that have the same structure or that follow the same trend. Because those are going to be things with which your children can connect. It's going to be something that they're going to recognize, and those are going to resonate. So that's going to be my guidelines there in terms of curating content. You'll see at the bottom that we mentioned red flags. I imagine all of us are aware of the first two red flags, which is either mature content, mature topics, or mature language, which might manifest as either swearing or inflammatory language. I'd also advise you to be mindful about problematic creators. So many of these YouTubers or these influencers have reached celebrity status. But with that comes a lot of knowledge about their personal lives and their backstories. It happens that some creators are involved in scandals. And if there is something controversial involving a certain influencer or YouTube... You might want to give second thought as to whether or not you want to include their works in your classroom, since it's similar to giving that person a spotlight. If there's a problematic creator, it might be better to go in a different direction. You also want to be on the lookout for content that really might just lack substance or opinion. For example, when I was putting together our curated collection, some of the videos that were recommended to me were essentially just videos of soothing sounds. And that was kind of nice, you know, soothing sounds, some background music, but I wasn't going to be able to use those to facilitate discussions around comprehension. So if there's a lack of substance, it's not going to work for our learning aims. So here we have it, the curation guidelines. This might be a great moment to snap a picture or grab a screen grab if you'd like to keep this handy. Hopefully you'll find yourself using our curation list and then maybe being motivated to take some of your summer to see what else you can find out there. In addition to coming up with a media playlist that we're gonna deliver to you, we also created discussion guides. Our discussion guides are basically lesson plans, but for parents. These are complete scripts that contain recommended videos, at least four of them in each discussion guide, And the videos are arranged in a sequence that will gradually build rigor as the videos are watched in order. They also contain at least 10 follow-up questions that parents and their children can discuss together. And the questions come from that guide I was showing you earlier, the one where we have nearly 200 different skills that all impact comprehension. So we touch on as wide a range of those as we can. And then there's also extension activities there as well for anybody who wants to further the learning even after they complete the discussion guide. We're gonna share three discussion guides with you at the follow-up of this. There's gonna be one focused around narrative media, one focused around opinion-based media, and then a last one for informational and instructional media so that regardless of genre, you can find something that could work. For these discussion guides, I would recommend positioning these for parents who are already confident working in lockstep with their children. I'm thinking about the kinds of parents who really jumped in during virtual learning during COVID, the parents who are already keen to assume some of the responsibilities that teachers normally uphold. If you have parents who might already be asking you what they can do over the summer, this would be my answer. However, not every family is going to be able to have a sit down session, look at media and take like a dedicated 30 minute chunk of their day. We know that. So for that reason, we've developed something else. Also, before I get into that something else, let me actually, though give you a quicker look into our discussion guides. You can see here there are three of them. They're each about four pages long. So this is one guide and it follows through in lesson plan format, as I mentioned. It starts off with a goal setting section and a skills alignment section. That way, both you and the parents can feel confident that there is some learning behind this and it is intentionally developed. We've got links to all the media that they're going to need for their viewing party. And then we've got the full script, which goes through a connection building opening, through pages of questions through which parents can deliver all of those academic questions to get their child thinking deeply. It wraps up with the closing, and we've got those extension add-ons in case they're interested in those. So this is our discussion guide. This is this is the biggie. If this is not something that might resonate, though, we want to make sure that all parents, regardless of how much time they might have or the circumstances that they're dealing with, we want them all to have an entry point. So we've also developed another printable. This is a one pager, and we're calling it our 10 comprehension catalysts. This is an easy point of entry because these are briefer activities that work better in isolation that parents can just more easily lob out at moments throughout their summer when they have a second to start thinking academically with their kids. There are going to be some conversation starters and activities that you can actually do without looking at any media whatsoever. That's the before-watching conversation starters and activities They're designed to activate background knowledge and build excitement about thinking critically around media. We also have some really general questions that parents can pose as their children are watching different videos or playing different games. These are general enough that they can apply to nearly any online content, so you don't really have to worry about setting up the right kind of session. You can just throw out a question and see where it takes you. And lastly, we have after watching videos, I'm sorry, after, after watching the videos, we have the culminating activities, excuse me, which are activities that either encourage reflection or can really help cement in those comprehension skills so that students are taking them with them to their future media viewing sessions. What this looks like is something like this. It's gonna be a one-page printable And it's going to have 10 boxes, sort of like these five shown here. And these are going to be quick and easy things that parents, babysitters, relatives, even older siblings could use just to increase the number of learning touch points over the summer. For example, the top one in the left corner says, if you had your own podcast where you talk to anyone about anything, what topics would you cover? What would you call it? Who would your first guest be? This is the kind of perfect conversation that somebody could throw out while commuting or while having dinner and be able to infuse what's normally maybe a quiet time or a time for more superficial discussion with something that hits that level of academic rigor. So we'll have this available for you as well. And the last thing I want to talk about with you all is how to pitch this to parents. We know that summer reading completion rates are typically low. And I believe that if we can get the parents on board, That will be a key to larger success. If I was going to try to implement these in my classroom, I would start by communicating the need. And I would do that in a really similar fashion to how I did it here on this webinar with you all this afternoon. I would let them know what standardized testing data looks like. I would let them know some of the insights we're getting about pre-COVID versus post-COVID and our time period right now of heightened learning loss. Plus, if there is an opportunity for you to make any of that personal, I recommend that you do it. If you have report card grades, individual score reports, or any other insight into a child's specific areas of focus, I would let parents know that there is an area where their child needs help and that there is an opportunity right now to try to close that gap before the next school year starts. I feel like a lot of times parents expect that we're responsible for all the learning and we've got it handled, but if we can let them know that this is time-sensitive and critical, we might be able to light a fire under some of them to put these resources to use. After you've communicated the need, hopefully in a personal way, share the resources with them. You're going to get them today in one big bundle, and you can literally just take it and pass it down the pipeline to the parents and invite them to use it. When they receive it, let them know that they have choice. If they wanna do the discussion guides, they have those, fully scripted, ready to run through. Or if they want the lighter comprehension catalysts, we have those there as well. They can use whatever floats their boat. They can try to uh, implement both of them together. However, their summer schedules see fit. And lastly, my parting advice to you would be to try to keep it realistic. I would pose these as optional resources. I recognize that summer looks different in each household. If guardians can't use these, you can add them to your own repository and find a place for them in the upcoming school year. I'm sure you'll find a place. But also, I think you'll be surprised. You know, research shows that 84% of parents are looking for guidance on how to moderate and manage screen time. If we can bring together something that is not just summer reading, but also help with screen time management, we may have hit a really big need. So best of luck if you try to incorporate these. I think you're going to really find that these have a different reaction than the traditional summer reading that we've been looking at. And they're here. The resources are here. This QR code is how you're gonna get the bundle. I recommend that you take your phone and go to the camera app on your phone. Once you've got the camera open, take it and point it at the QR code. If you hover over the QR code for a moment, a link should pop up that you can click on and that will bring you to the bundle. Again, that bundle is gonna have our media playlist of recommended online kinds of media, as well as the three discussion guides that you can send or print for parents and then that one pager, the comprehension catalysts, a great thing to maybe put on the fridge or just keep handy. We're also gonna send you our complete shoelace comprehension skills guide. That's yours in case you wanna dive deeper into the skills alignment that went into these creation, as well as if you wanna keep it handy for your own lesson planning and curriculum planning this summer and next year. If you're unable to get the resources from this QR code, Also, please take note of our email addresses here. You have both my email address, I'm Lauren, and Julia's as well. So if you want these sent to you in a different fashion, we'd be happy to help. With that said, I'm going to get ready pretty soon to turn it over to Julia. There's only, I think, one last thing I have to share with you. I've got all the sources here in case you'd like to take a screenshot of this. These are the sources that went into the concepts like engaged learning and the comprehension crisis. If you want to read any of the academic research around that, this is where I pulled a lot of those stats that I've shared with you all today. With that said, I'm going to leave it in the hands of Julia to wrap us up. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thanks so much, Lauren. And we have a few questions that I'm going to ask you to stay, stick around for so that I, I can uh, get you to answer them. But before we jump into questions, I just want to thank you so much, Lauren. Lauren's been working for weeks on these resources for you, and, and I hope you guys all see a huge benefit from them because we all know how much our kids need help this summer um, catching up. I'm just going to remind you again, shoelacelearning.com is where you can download the um, Shoelace Games, I really recommend that you get this started before the end of the school year. You'll get uh, logins for all of your students. Every The first time they play, they get put through a stealth placement test. You'll be able to see their reading comprehension level. Uh, And you'll also be able to see which skills they're struggling with and which ones they're mastering. So get started with that today. And I promise you, they'll want to keep playing through the summer. So this will be something that they're motivated to do to keep reading and and they will be reading, which is great. And I'm going to start there actually, Lauren, um, because there was a few questions that uh, that popped up around the same issue. So I'm going to try to summarize it into one. But wouldn't it be better to try to get kids to read books? So there's some questions around, you know, are we just kind of, are we waving the white flag that no books aren't important anymore? What's your take on that?
0: Oh, that's a great comment, Julia. I don't like to think of this as surrender. There's a podcast that I've recently started listening to. It's called Brave New Teaching. And one of their episodes just in the last couple of weeks was about this. And the premise that they made really stuck with me The premise that they shared is that we want students to be able to comprehend. That's the real end game. Sometimes we get stuck in whether or not they know all the nuances of a certain book that we're reading together, but it's not about understanding one book. It's about comprehending generally. And if I can make comprehension skills stronger with online content and the kind of media that they prefer than I could with a book that they're not going to buy into, I'm going to do whatever I can take to get their comprehension skills up to snuff. Further, I I think about this in terms of the world that they're going to be inheriting once once they're grown. We're already seeing how much is online and how much content of importance does trickle through social media. Every business has a social media presence. News organizations are moving towards sharing more and more there as well they're going to be getting a lot of the media that we traditionally got in print format from there. So I don't see it as a white flag. I also see it as a future ready endeavor.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think something else that we've seen with shoelace is that um, when they get introduced to reading through, let's say, a game like, like the one you're seeing on the screen, they, they're getting it in small bits at their own level and they're building confidence. And that confidence seems to be a big uh, a big important piece for kids, you know, if they lose the confidence, they they really turn away from reading. So building that confidence in small chunks seems to be a really good way to to get them to to commit to wanting to do more. Maybe they, these can be gateways to reading more books.
0: Great point, Julia.
1: Yeah. Um. Okay. So an, another question that's popped up here: um, Can you recommend a channel or playlist with informative and educational videos I could watch with my kids?
0: For sure, so that's part of the bundle that we're sharing with you. We've got 20 videos to share with you there that we really think is the place to start. There's narrative videos and narrative media, narrative games. There are also informational and opinion-based videos. Beyond that though, it's gonna fall onto you all to figure out what's gonna resonate with your students. I recommend if our curation uh, media playlist is something that you blow through quite quickly, Keep an eye on our frameworks
1: and see what else you can find to cultivate. That's it. So thank you so much for attending, everyone. We have five more minutes. I'll take one more quick look in the the questions just to see if there's anything else that I I can pull up. There's quite a few in here. Um, Yes, the recording will be shared, and we are going to make sure that you share the deck as well. So those links will be available to you um, as well. And, and, I you know, another question, what's the benefit of watching videos versus reading similar stories in books, Lauren? So this is similar to that first question, but maybe you can tackle this in a different way. For sure. So, I mean, media
0: comes across in a variety of different ways. We do this in our classroom also. For those of us here in the United States, we have standard sets that talk about, you know, comparing text with different version of media. It's oftentimes why we watch the movie version after we read a book together in a whole class. There's there's different elements that we have to become attuned to. And this is something that if you dig into the discussion guides, you're going to see. We talk a lot about text structure. We talk a lot about craft. We talk a lot about figurative language as teachers teaching comprehension. Those things are still in online media, game-based media, and different formats. But it doesn't always look the same. In the same way I was mentioning that you as an educator may need to take some time to get on board with the structure of videos and the trends there, we can do a really great service to our students by teaching them not just text structure, but also media structure. And I think if you look at the discussion guides, you'll be able to see some really interesting ways that those dovetail that we might not be highlighting enough if we stay traditionally with text and with print.
1: That's great. Well, thank you, Lauren. I did have one question that just popped up about what's the difference between the free and premium version of Shoelace Learning. Um, The free is free forever for teachers who don't have the budget to to purchase a subscription, Uh, but it's $29 a year for teachers who want the premium. You'll get extra premium content, so extra uh, passages and questions. You'll also get some uh, extra reports, deeper individual student reports, um, and some extra um, fun things like uh, extra rewards to give your, your students as they play in the game. So so some some fun add-ons and some really valuable add-ons too. Uh, but for those of you who don't have a, the budget to do it, we wanted to make sure it was accessible to everyone um, forever. So we hope you, you really enjoy. And as a mom, you know, the, I, I started this company because I cared very much about my kids being supported and and since we've started, I've seen millions of kids being supported by this platform and and we know now that parents are checked in they need help they're crying for help they're asking for help um and teachers have such an important role to play there and and uh, I really wish you all the best with your students as we round out this school year and as a mom i you know. I look forward to to getting resources from my teachers, just like you'll be sharing with with your parents. So thank you very much. Thank you, EdWeb, for having us. And thank you, Lauren, for an excellent presentation.
0: We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.